You're listening to Comedy Central. February 26, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. I'm Trevor Noah. Our guest tonight is an author whose debut novel is a satire of race in America called Such a Fun Age. Kylie Reed is joining us, everybody. It's a really brilliant book. Also on tonight's show, How You Can Go to Space, Roy Wood Jr. explores black fashion, and we find out if we're all gonna die. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with NASA. America's most expensive way of collecting rocks. If you wanted to be an astronaut when you were a little kid, first of all, congratulations on being basic. And secondly, (laughs) this may be your big chance. You wanna be an astronaut? Well, you better know how to swim. NASA is looking for a new crop of cadets willing to take the plunge in hopes of reaching outer space. The odds of being selected are pretty low. NASA only needs about 20 trainees for the next class. Officials say degrees in math, science, and engineering are required and you have to have a master's degree. So if you think you've got what it takes to survive not just a neutral buoyancy pool, but an actual mission in space, well, the next astronaut class opens up on Monday. Apply then. <laughs> Why are we laughing? <laughs> Thank God this guy is covering NASA and not a tornado. Everyone here is now homeless or dead. <laughs> but yes, NASA is looking for new astronauts, but you can only apply if you have a master's degree and are in peak physical condition. Basically, you have to be an athletic nerd, which doesn't exist. You gotta be like Neil deGrasse Mike Tyson. That's what you gotta be. Yeah, it's time to discuss supernovas. <laughs> I'm joking, Mike. Now, uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, I, th- I think NASA's standards are too high. Like, you, you shouldn't need a master's degree to go to space. You just need two things. One, you need to know how to walk in slow motion. You're just like... <laughs> and two, you need courage. That's all you need. You know who NASA should hire? Those people who buy sushi at 7-Eleven. That's, <laughs> that's what you need in space. I see you aren't afraid of taking risks. You wanna, wanna, t- wanna fly to Pluto? All right, another news. Remember the massive admission scandal that rocked American colleges last year? Well, yesterday, one big parent got the biggest sentence yet. This morning, the heiress to the hot pocket snack food fortune is heading to prison after a judge handed down the harshest sentence yet in the college admission scandal. Hot pockets. She understands the harm that her choices caused. She understands the impact that those choices had on students. Michelle Janevs sentenced to five months behind bars after pleading guilty to paying bribes to get her two daughters admitted to elite universities. That's right, the Hot Pockets heiress was sentenced to five months in prison. Although after two and a half months, they'll take her out, flip her over, and then put her back in. (laughs) By the way, by the way, can we admit, Hot Pockets heiress, It's a very weird phrase (laughs) that is somehow both trashy and extremely upper class at the same time. (laughs) You know, it's like, introducing the Archduchess of scratch-off lottery tickets. (laughs) Now, some people will be like, oh, five months doesn't seem like a long time in prison, but it really is. 
especially if you are a rich white woman. I mean, for them, that's basically life. <laughs> Think about it, by the time you get out, your book club has moved on to a totally new book. <laughs> if you go to prison in August, you'll completely miss pumpkin spice season. <laughs> and worst of all, your kids will have completely forgotten who you are, yeah. <laughs> you'll be back like, it's me, your mom, the woman the nanny gives you to on the weekends, remember? <laughs> but on the other hand, she might come out of prison with all new ideas for fillings for Hot Pockets, you know? Yeah, she'll be back in the boardroom like, all right, guys, forget that ham and cheese shit. We're doing toilet wine and cigarettes. Come on. I'm gonna put a shiv inside each one so if anyone steps to Aunt Becky, they can catch a fade. <laughs> and finally, for all those ladies out there who are sick and tired of how expensive tampons are, you might want to consider moving to the Highlands. In Scotland, Parliament has just approved plans to make sanitary products freely available to all women. Yeah, it's the first nation in the world to do this. Now, the law would make tampons and sanitary pads available at designated public places, places like youth clubs and pharmacies. In 2018, Scotland became the first country in the world to provide free sanitary products in schools, colleges, and universities. Yes, congratulations, Scotland, on being the first country to make sanitary products free to all the women who need it. Yeah, I think it should be like this everywhere. You know? It really should. Because it, if you think about it, it's crazy that half the population has to pay so much for a natural process in their body. I mean, imagine if there was like a tax on boners. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been bankrupt by the time I was 13. <laughs> Part of me wonders if this law was passed by mistake. You know, maybe someone in Scottish Parliament was just like, we need to fix our bloody problems. And someone's like, aye, right, free tampons for everyone. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. Let's talk about the coronavirus. It's the worst global pandemic since Baby Shark. There are now over 80,000 confirmed cases in 40 countries, including 57 confirmed cases right here in the United States, <coughs> 58. And so, <laughs> today, the president of the United States held an emergency press conference to address people's concerns. I've just received another briefing from a great group of talented people. We're ready to adapt and we're ready to do whatever we have to as the disease spreads, if it spreads. The level that we've had in our country is very low and those people are getting better. We're very, very ready for this. I'm gonna be putting our Vice President, Mike Pence, in charge. I'm gonna ask Mike Pence to say a few words, please. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mr. President. Yes, this is major news. Vice President Mike Pence will be in charge of America's effort to contain the coronavirus. And I think this is great. Yeah, because Mike Pence has a lot of experience in this area. He's been quarantining himself from women his whole life. <laughs> This is great. And some might be worried, some might be worried because when Mike Pence was governor of Indiana, he enabled an HIV outbreak when he didn't follow the advice of public health officials. But I'll be honest, I still feel safer with him than with Trump, all right? Because Trump, first of all, if you saw the briefing, didn't seem to know anything that we didn't. It's like he just gets his news online with us. Just like, I, I saw a thing, it looks bad, it's really pretty bad. <laughs> it's like some people have it, a lot of people have it, you might have it, I don't, I don't even know if I have it. And earlier, earlier this week, earlier this week, when Trump was briefed on the virus, he seemed less concerned about a pandemic hurting people than he was about it hurting the economy. Because that's Trump's real nightmare, right? If his stock market gets sick, 
Yeah, he would be like, no, not my poor stock market. <laughs> not Wall Street, I'll nurse you back to health with my special chicken soup. It's a KFC bucket poured with Diet Coke. It's delicious, don't judge. Don't judge, the Diet Coke undoes the KFC. <laughs> and also, also when Trump first talked about the coronavirus earlier this week, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't exactly reassuring. The uh, coronavirus, which is, um, you know, very well under control in our country. We uh, have very few people with it. The people are getting better. They're all getting better. And I think that whole situation will start working out. A lot of talent, a lot of brain power is being put behind it. Two and a half billion dollars we're putting in. There's a very good chance you're not gonna die. Okay, we're, we're definitely all gonna die. <laughs> you know, Trump, Trump is great for jokes, but in times of crisis, Trump is the worst person to reassure the nation. <laughs> because a president is like a parent. They're supposed to make people feel like they have things under control. Trump is like, yeah, maybe you never, like he's the kind of parent who would freak their kid out even more. Be like, daddy, there are monsters under my bed? Are they, are they there? Be like, I don't know, kid, probably not. But uh, <laughs> nobody knows for sure, nobody knows. I mean, you could have swallowed a tiny monster and it's growing in your tummy right now. <laughs> nobody knows, all right, good night, buddy. <laughs> so the question is, what is the latest news from the coronavirus and how is it affecting the world? Well, let's find out in our brand new segment, Is This How We Die? Today's catastrophic threat to humanity is the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19 or Kofifi. <laughs> Trump tried to warn us, but we laughed. Now, scientists are still learning about this virus because it's so new. What we do know, though, is that it's extremely contagious and that it looks different depending on which news channel you're watching. Yeah, on NBC, it looks like fish eggs. On ABC, it looks like Nickelodeon slime. Uh, on CBS, it looks like radioactive cauliflower. And on Fox News, they just made it look like Hillary Clinton. Lock it up, lock it up. <laughs> and now while America is bracing for the worst, other countries around the world are in the thick of it. So let's go over to Japan where the coronavirus isn't just getting people sick, it's also going for the gold. The 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo might be canceled because of the outbreak. A senior member of the International Olympics Committee told the Associated Press, you're probably looking at a cancellation if the coronavirus outbreak isn't curtailed by May. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people coming from 200 plus countries, all staying in close quarters here in Tokyo for a few weeks and then going back out to their home countries. If they don't get this thing under control, the potential for a major public health crisis and outbreak is huge. Yes, the Olympics might be canceled because of the coronavirus. And personally, I'm devastated because I was gonna compete in the shot puts. <laughs> Yeah, no, for real. One of those big guys was gonna throw me. <laughs> now, <laughs> canceling the Olympics is a pretty big deal. In fact, the event has only ever been canceled for world wars and its old tweets, but it makes sense. <laughs> Hosting a worldwide competition during a pandemic is a recipe for disaster, right? And it's bound to affect the quality of the sports. I mean, you can't have that when there's diseases going on. I mean, can you imagine the relays? They're gonna have the slowest times ever. No one's gonna want to touch the same baton. Just be like, ew, 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 ew. And good luck breaking records in the pool when you're dressed like this. So, <laughs> the virus is potentially a World War level threat. 
And you might be thinking with this level of danger, we should be turning to God. But as we're learning from the Philippines, God may not be able to help. Millions of Christians around the world are observing Ash Wednesday today. It marks the start of Lent, a season of fasting and prayer all leading up to Easter. This year, out of precaution for the coronavirus, some churches are sprinkling ashes on the heads of churchgoers instead of smudging it on their foreheads. Yes, as unbelievable as it sounds, because of the coronavirus, many Catholic priests are just sprinkling ashes on their parishioners like a religious salt bay. And that's how you know the coronavirus is serious. Because even the church is afraid. Like if coronavirus was around in the Bible, Jesus would have been like, I will lay hands on this leper and I will raise the dead. And for the, oh, coronavirus, no, 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 no. I'll, let me turn this water into Purell. I ain't touching that shit. <laughs> so Japan and the Philippines are taking major precautions. But all the way over in Iran, things are already getting out of control. Iran has suffered the highest number of coronavirus deaths outside of China, with 15 dead and 95 cases reported. On Monday, the country's deputy health minister went on TV, insisting the Iranian government had the coronavirus under control. But the very next day, it was announced that he himself had contracted the virus. Are you shitting me? The health minister? came out saying everything is fine, but then he's got the disease? So not only is this virus super contagious, it also has a sick sense of humor. <laughs> and it's bad enough, it's bad enough that the health minister, the deputy health minister is sick, but it's even worse that in the days before he was diagnosed, he was going on TV and spreading it around. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to say that that guy's career is over because, <laughs> let's be honest, a health minister that gets sick will never be trusted again. Yeah, it's just like, everybody needs to wash their hands. People are like, man, why would we listen to you, you sick-ass bitch? <laughs> so that's where we are now. The coronavirus, which started in Asia, has now spread from Europe to the US, the Middle East, and all the way, as of today, to South America. So remember, people, wash your hands. Try not to touch your face cover your cough and stay away from that Iranian health official. <laughs> and if you do all of those things, there's a good chance you're probably not gonna die. <laughs> we'll be right back. February is Black History Month, and we're celebrating all month long with Roy Wood Jr., celebrating the unsung heroes of black history in another episode of CP Time. Oh, welcome to CP Time, the only show that's for the culture. Today, we'll be discussing black contributions to fashion. Normally, when we think about black fashion, we think about church hats so big, they block your view of Jesus. Or we think about those suits that Steve Harvey wears that hog all the buttons. Leave some buttons for the rest of us, Steve. They're keeping my clothes together with staples. But in actuality, the world of fashion has been filled with influential and iconic African-American designers. Like our first trailblazer, Zelda Wynn Valdez, who was one of the first designers whose clothing accentuated women's curves. 
Before her, women's fashion covered up their figures with big ass skirts the size of a carnival cruise ship. <laughs> Women would get lost just bending over to tie their shoes. Zelda's curved flaunting designs were so popular that Hugh Hefner asked her to design the iconic outfit for the Playboy bunnies. I never went to the Playboy mansion myself because I was married and I also have a severe phobia of rabbits. You never know where rabbits are hiding. If you can pull one out of a hat, you can pull one out of anywhere. Kiss my ass, I don't want to be around that. Another black creator of couture is Stephen Burroughs. He rose to fashion prominence in the early 70s during the disco era. I was always confused by disco. I couldn't tell who was dancing and who was giving me directions. <laughs> but disco isn't just about the moves. It's about the fashion, which Stephen Burroughs helped shape. He hung out at Studio 54 and was popular among its celebrity regulars. He was the first to design clothes that were comfortable on the dance floor, even at 3 a.m., Right when the cocaine hit so hard, you thought you were the disco ball. <laughs> cocaine was better in the 70s. <laughs> Burroughs also invented lettucing, which is when you make the material at the edge of a garment curve and ripple, like a piece of lettuce. I'll have to take his word for it, because I've never eaten a piece of lettuce. <laughs> My favorite vegetable is caramel-covered popcorn. <laughs> and finally, our last designer brings us to the modern day. Virgil Abloh, the first African-American artistic director at Louis Vuitton, and driving force behind this decade's streetwear movement. He made high-end fashion take streetwear seriously. You know, fancy logos, t-shirts, chunky sneakers, hoodies, pretty much anything you're not supposed to wear to a funeral, unless you and the deceased had beef. Rest in peace, Spencer. Miss Jordan's a stepping on your grave. Now, don't be fooled by the term streetwear. One of Abloh's biggest companies, Off-White, sells sweatpants for over $300, and this luxury undershirt costs $200. Although I don't know why you would spend so much money on a shirt that ain't nobody gonna see. You know how much I paid for my underwear? Nothing. A six-pack of drawers fell off the back of a Walmart truck in 1987, and I never looked back. So the next time you zip your fly, and you're looking fly, Remember the African-American fashion trailblazers who made you that blazer. Now, if you'd excuse me, I'm going to make my first shirt. Retail price, $10,000. This old man has his debts. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Roy Wood Jr. This has been CP Time. And remember, for the culture, make me some... Oh, damn. Somebody give me a napkin. I'm bleeding on my fabric. We'll be right back. Daily Show. My guest tonight is a writer who explores racism and privilege in her New York Times best-selling debut novel called Such a Fun Age. Please welcome Kylie Reed. <laughs> welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you for having me. Uh, congratulations on your debut novel being a New York Times bestseller. Seven weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. That's amazing. 
And congratulations on creating a book that's not just doing well, but it's creating so much buzz in the right ways. You know, you have fans that include Reese Witherspoon, who's made it like her book club book of, of the month. You've got uh, uh, Lena Waithe, who bought it, you know, got, bought the film rights for the book, which right. is really fantastic. Um, the book is an interesting one because it opens with 25-year-old Amira, who is this woman who works as a babysitter, working for a white family who's very rich, and things basically go wrong. Yeah. Like, where, where do you even come up with a story like that? Because it seems like a simple story. It's like, oh, it's just gonna be babysitter world, and it's like, no, it turns into fake kidnapping and then white privilege. It's funny, but it's also deep at the same time. Right. Where does that come from? I think that in many ways, this is a really old story, a black caregiver and a white woman and a white child, and their interactions are really precarious and charged. And from the very first chapter, Amira is accused of kidnapping this child, and she's humiliated. And I think that what makes it different is someone pulls out a cell phone, and people relationship to racist incident becomes different when they right. see it firsthand. Yeah, you, because you, you have the story that many people can relate to on the surface, which is we see it all the time and we don't even think it's not normal, which is black women raising white people's children. Right, but that's is, been going on for quite exactly. some time, yeah. From way back in time, and, and you see the story. But what's interesting in this one is that Amira has a certain level of swag that we wouldn't associate with somebody in this position. Did you base that on your life in any way? Oh no, she's so much cooler than I am in every way. <laughs> no, I was a really good babysitter because I was terrified of hurting the child ever. Amira's really good babysitting too, but she doesn't know what she wants to do. She's right. 25, she's coming to the end of her health insurance, and she's really confused about where she wants to be, but she loves this little girl and they have a really sweet relationship together, but this incident changes everything. Right, now I don't want to spoil what happens later on in the book, but I will, I will tell people what really is the catalyst in my opinion in the story, and that is you have Amira being in this place where she's been accused of kidnapping this little white child. Um, you also have an incident in the family where there's, there's a racist incident with the husband, right. the family's under siege, and then the woman who's in the house, Alex, calls her and says, hey, Amira, I need you to come and look after my child while we're trying to work through this whole racism thing. And then she wants to be her friend. And that's really what the yeah. book is in and around. I think so too. Um, it's definitely, I mean, that happens. You get a little crush on someone. You think they seem really cool and interesting, but that layer between them, of, this is your employee. And right. you have to respect her space and that's where things get tricky. Why do you, why do you think it, it becomes so tricky? Because I, I think it's hard to explain it to people and it's, it's a really wonderful book to read because it's so natural. But how did you manage to capture how tricky it can be for some people like Alex and this woman, a white woman, mm -hmm. who really seems well-intentioned and she, right. she wants to connect with this black woman who works for her, she wants to be her friend, and yet doesn't realize all of like those tiny missteps that are being interpreted completely differently from the black woman's side. Exactly, I think it's those missteps that come from the really great intentions that she has. And I think that a lot of white supremacy comes with a smile and an unknowingness and then these really great intentions. And Alex is constantly trying to superficially level the playing field right. with her and saying, oh, I, I got my shoes at Payless or I spent you know, nothing on this rug as if she would get along with her because of those things. But she's not realizing this girl's really struggling, and so that's where they miss each other. Yeah. Is, is there a reason you went with that for the story? You know, it, it, it could have been a, a simpler story. It could have been one that didn't com contain as much complexity, which would really get us into these conversations. Because yeah. I've read reviews from everyone of every race, every, every walk of life saying, I see myself in the story in a different way. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason you went with this specific story? It's probably because I love awkward moments. I just can't get enough of them when I watch people squirm and I, when I read something that makes me have to put a book back down, those are my absolute favorite moments. And so it's, it's not fortunate for my character. Right. So that's what I love to read, yeah. How many people have asked to touch your hair? I mean... 
I'm going to say the limit does not exist. <laughs> so many. And it's all those little things that are so layered in history right. that I love writing about. Yes. So let me ask you this. If someone's reading this book and they go, Kylie, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying. You know, I'm, I'm a white person who's really trying. I didn't even realize I'm, I'm, these microaggressions are taking place. I didn't even know that I'm offending people in these moments. I'm really trying. When someone reads this book, what do you hope that they would take from it that would give them a greater understanding of what they're doing in the world or how they're interacting with people of color? Oh, and this, this does happen. At every reading I have, there's a white woman who's just finished reading it and she's like not ready to do this whole thing with me yet. Right. She's like, I don't know what you want me to do from this book. Um, I think the biggest thing is the influence of the society rather than the individual. I feel that as soon as I start saying, you're a bad person, right. I stop judging the systems that keep poor people poor and give people permission to treat other people this way. Wow. Um, there's a really big racist incident in the first chapter where Amira is racially profiled, but for the rest of the novel, she's struggling to get health insurance. And that is something that has been a problem for domestic labor workers since the 1930s and before that as well. And so I think covering these bigger issues of systemic racism is way more important than, you know, did I say the right thing in front of my cool babysitter? It really is fascinating that you've done that because, you know, when reading through the book, one thing that jumps out to me is you have this world where you've tackled an issue that many people have commented on. You know, I see it a lot online. People saying, for instance, when there's a presidential debate or when people are talking to politicians, they make it seem like there are black issues yes. and then there are issues for every other American. When in fact, black people have issues like anyone else can. And in this book, you, you seem to highlight that. It's one issue of race and then there were just issues of life that anyone can face. Oh, yeah. Was that purposeful? Oh, 100%. I think that talking about race without talking about class is kind of a moot point. And there's black women in the novel who are wealthy and have really high respectability politics and believe that Amira should want more for her life. And then there she has other black friends who support her in everything she does. And I think not including all of those differences does a disservice to black women. Well, I, I'll tell you this. You've written a book that is funny. It's engaging. Uh, it is wonderfully awkward in many moments. You don't want to put it down. You read it so quickly. Um, this is not going to be your first best-selling novel. So thank you so much thank for being on the so show. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really wonderful read. Such a fun age is available now. You definitely want to go out and get it. Can you read, everybody? The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 